Good morning. I don't know why that opening line was so hard for me today. Um, it is good to be with you. I'm Joel, one of the pastors. And uh, man, Merry Christmas. That is the first time I've said that this year. Merry Christmas is December. Yes, yesterday felt like it was May 2nd. Anybody else? Amen. Like I felt like I was just saying, hey, honey, what are we going to do this summer? And now, boom, here we are in December. Um, we are excited, though, for this series because we're going to be able to look over the course of December. I, I'm excited each week just to preach through a different individual and look at how they are recognizing the presence of God and the glory of God. That's what we get to jump into. Um, I'm going to go ahead and dive in pretty fast today. Um, anybody heard of the guy Moses before? Who was his brother? Aaron. Aaron's the first high priest. That's where it comes from, okay? So here we have today someone that we're looking at with a Christmas story, not by the name of Mary, not by the name of Joseph. They're coming later in the series, but by the name of Zechariah. Luke chapter 1. Open up with me, all right? Luke chapter 1. He was a, he was a priest that comes down from Aaron, okay? So th this is important. I'll give you some understanding about priests. Priests were descendants of Aaron, the brother of Moses. Uh, we know that. Um, Aaron was the first high priest of Israel. Um, and then, so let me tell you what a priest would do. One, that they, they had the responsibility of making sure that all the sacrifices were offered. All right? So th this is going to be, they had a big job. Like responsibility was great. Privilege was high, but the responsibility was enormous. So they had to make sure that all the sacrifices were done properly. They also, according to First Chronicles 23, chapter 13, they made sure that the prayers were offered before God, that they were offered up in the proper way. So we see that in First Chronicles chapter 23, verse 13. Um, and we understand that that's one of those responsibilities that they had. They had to take care of the temple. Um, and all the different facets of it and just the different things that would come with it. Um, they would then uh, make sure that the incense was burning. Now, why was incense important to them? They would make sure that the incense was burning because imagine if you light some incense or even a candle, okay, in your house, what happens is you start to see the smoke come up. So you imagine that incense being coming up before you just as our prayers are being offered before the Lord. All right, you there with me now? So that's why they wanted, they wanted to make sure that they were constantly offering before the Lord those prayers and everything else that was a part of it. Um, and so in Zechariah, he's offering incense when he ends up uh, coming to encounter an angel. Now, this is going to be the first person that we see in the New Testament encountering an angel in this, in this manner. We're going to see it here. Luke is the only one who tells uh, the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist, by the way. So we have the foretelling of Christ in Matthew and Luke. The primary, the mo most detail is found in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2. Um, but Luke is the only one that's speaking about the foretelling of John the Baptist. So it's, it's, it's crucial for us to be able to understand that. Here, Zechariah, not only is a priest, but he's married to who? Okay. I got a lot of teaching to do. <laughs> Elizabeth. Elizabeth gave birth to John the... Okay, that made up for like minimal. Um, so you've got Zechariah who's married to Elizabeth and Elizabeth is going to be the mother of John the Baptist and these guys have been praying to have a baby. Right? Praying and praying to have a baby. Now, I'm giving you all this. We're about to read the Word of God, but I'm trying to make sure that if you have this all as a background and understanding first, the Word of God is going to be like, oh, now I get it when we hear that in just a moment. 
Here are two people, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who had been hoping for a baby. They had been praying about this very thing. They had been praying for what? A baby. You got this class participation day. All right. Will you get a star when you leave? All right. So I just want, I'm trying to get this to sink in. And I know that if you call things out, that's why we do it. You remember it differently. Zechariah is married to? Who's the mom of? You got the angel. This is all in Luke chapter one. They're coming here. Um, he's making sure that all of these responsibilities are, are, are taken care of. That priest, huge responsibilities, I've already said. Um, but what you're going to see with Zechariah is that sometimes the priority of making sure that everything was done properly, that everything was done right, took precedence on simply having faith in an almighty God. Anybody like that? Like you want anybody here? Don't raise your hand. I'm not trying to isolate you, um, but you just want to make sure every day goes like this. And when the day doesn't go as you have planned, it creates stress and anxiety. You got some of those people in the room, right? Oh yes, yeah, just say, God, be with me. Right? So, I, you, but you've got to have it and you've got to have your checklist and you've got to make sure everything, and if it doesn't go the way you want, well, I think being a priest with all the responsibilities, you had to make sure everything went a particular way and if it didn't, oh no. And what we see in Zechariah is he's going to encounter the angel, Gabriel, the angel's name is what? All right, so he's going to encounter Gabriel, and you're going to understand that Gabriel is going to speak something powerful into his life, but his response to that is something that we must evaluate. Now, it does tell us that Elizabeth and Zechariah, they are good people. They're blameless, meaning they were earnest before God. They, they, they were godly individuals, but godly individuals can lose track. Godly individuals can, can misplace priorities and realign in ways that they don't necessarily need to be realigning. And so that's what we're going to have here, an amazing story with Zechariah today. Will you please stand for the reading of the word of God? It says the following. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest by the name of what? Zechariah. Of the division of What? That was uh, uh, <laughs> Abijah. That's it, literally it's Abijah. So, okay. So everybody say Abijah. Abijah. All right, there he is. And he had a wife and the daughters of Aaron, and her name was? And they were both righteous before God, walking what? And all the commandments and the statutes of the Lord. They were good people. So this is not going to be me having a gripe fest over these individuals. However, we're going to learn a powerful lesson from them. It says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was, and both were advanced in years. What that means is that they were, <laughs> two, two weeks ago, somebody looked at me and said, you just look more advanced than you were. I'm like, shut. <laughs> they now go to a church down the street. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, uh, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot. They often would cast lots to who would serve in the temple in particular ways. So they would cast lots, and now his division was casting lots, and he has the responsibility of going into the temple, make sure the incense is being lit, the prayers are being offered, the sacrifices are being offered at the right times as well, and that everything is being cared for. You game? Yes? Awesome. So here he is, cast lots there, and, and it's for him to go in, burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, right? There's the prayers because the incense is they would light that and like, oh, let this be like our, the incense be like our prayers as they go up before God. 
And the whole multitude, there they are praying. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him. Now here's a man of God. And it says fear fell upon him. Uh, right away, does that not remind you of what happened? Not only at the birth of Jesus Christ with the angel coming, but even with the women who went to prepare the body of Jesus Christ at the end of his life, 34 years later, they go to the tomb to prepare his body. Am I talking fast today? I feel like I'm talking really fast. They go to prepare his body and the angel comes in and says they're fearful. And they're like, oh, what do we do, right? Um, fear of the Lord often happens when the angel, the presence of God comes before you. But here's Gabriel, he comes and he's like, oh no, there's fear. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Listen to this, for your prayer has been heard and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you shall call his name John and you will have joy and gladness. You, you give me a baby advancing years old, I better have some joy and gladness, amen? <laughs> You'll have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth and he will be great before the Lord and he must not drink wine or strong drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that the prayer of every parent that your child will be filled with the Holy Spirit? They will be used by God and says even from his mother's womb and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Now remember, Zechariah, just you can stay standing, it's good, hang on. Zechariah has been praying for a baby. All right, he's been praying for a baby. He's been praying for all of this to happen. And now all of a sudden, Gabriel, angel of the Lord, comes to him and says, it's coming. I know you're old. I know that you're gonna have kids that are probably younger than grandkids. But anyway, here it is. You've been praying for this, and it says in verse 18, let's throw this up on the screen if we could. And Zechariah said to the angel, here's his response. Been praying for something, it happens, and his response isn't, woo! His response is, how shall I know this? And Gabriel looked at him and said, dumb, dumb. For I am an old man, and my wife is. You could tell he was off his game. Like, he could have chosen better words here. He could have said, and my wife is more seasoned. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. This is about to be the best nine months of Elizabeth's life. <laughs> now, some of you are laughing because you're going, I wish that happened in my family. But why? Why? Because he did not what? Believe. He didn't even believe the very thing he had been praying for. Which will be fulfilled in their time and the people were waiting for Zechariah and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And in that moment, he started the first game of charades ever. 
because they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple and he kept making signs to them but remained mute, right? I don't know how you do that. Like, angel, baby, I don't, I don't know, but that's what he's doing. He's trying to show them. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months, she kept herself hidden. This is the word of God. You may be seated. So as I already said, Luke's the only one who recounts the foretelling of the, and the birth of John the Baptist. These are important things. These are responsibilities, by the way, of the priests that I've already mentioned to you prior to the reading of the word of God. Um, understanding that, John, uh, that Luke is the only one recounting the birth of, of John the Baptist. These are important things. It makes you go, oh, wait a second. Somebody literally day in and day out, they had these responsibilities. That's how important it was. But then we learn a lot about Zechariah, who, yes, loved God, but I think he got distracted. Another thing that we recognize here is because it's, why, why is the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist and also the birth of Jesus, which happens after this, um, why is it so important? Because it, it does convey the power of God. It, it'd be one thing, imagine this, two ladies, one who's really, I didn't say old. I was trying to come up with a better word, but yeah, old, has a baby. Another one who's a virgin has a baby. That's Luke chapter one. All that happens, and then afterwards, God steps into the picture and says, I did that. That'd be one thing. He doesn't do that, though, does he? He goes, beforehand. It's a different thing when you speak of what is to come prior to it happening. And God steps into the picture and says, I'm going to make that old lady, right, have a baby. And I'm going to then, not only that, I'm going to make that virgin young lady over there who's probably about 14 years old have a baby. That's the power of God. And that's what we see happening here. And Zechariah is struggling with this. He responds to the angel by saying, how can I be sure? This is, how, how shall I know this? How is this really even feasible? How is this possible? I'm old. My wife is old. Don't do this to me. Ah. Here's the thing about Zechariah. And yes, there is a difference. You're going to see some different responses throughout the month of December to the birth of Jesus Christ. You're going to see a difference in uh, Joseph's response and Mary's response. Mary's in a couple of weeks. And looking at her response is different than Zechariah. You'll see it today a little bit. You'll see it more then when I speak to it more directly. But it's a different response. And here's Zechariah. I've been praying for this thing. And my concern is that many of us are praying for something that we don't think God will actually do. And then when he does it, we just throw it away as something else. Because his response spoke to what he could accomplish. His response spoke to what he thought was feasible. His response spoke to what he thought made sense according to the eyes of the world, rather than speaking to what God is capable of doing. Do we recognize that God is still a God of miracles? I speak about this so frequently because one of the greatest problems of the church today is we think that God was powerful when he created the universe. We think he'll be powerful when he sends his son again to redeem all people. But let me tell you now, our God is the same today and he is still a God of power and strength and might and he can do anything he wants. Do we believe that? Or do we offer these prayers, honestly, they're somewhat disrespectful. To offer a prayer to God and not believe that he can do it is disrespectful. And I look at it, I go, well, then wait, what's Zechariah doing? And he's, he's a, dude, this is a church guy. He was a deacon for 400 years and he's been in there forever and he's helped make all the changes. You know what I'm saying? Like, he grew up in the church. 
He's the one making sure that everything happens. Friends, questioning can be healthy, but our questions should come from a place of faith. I speak to it all the time. Questions are not bad. But when, but when our questions remove us from our faith, they become about the person rather than about discovering more of the God. He lost sight of who God was and he predicted or uh, he dedicated so much of his time, I think, to making sure things went well, that things went proper, that he lost sight of what it was to have simple faith. One of the things that he learned was that, and, and you're going, well, didn't it, wasn't it just a good question? If it was that good of a question, why did it have the consequence that it had? Our faith or lack of faith, by the way, has consequence. Our lack of faith has consequence because this guy didn't talk for nine months. Think about that. That's, is that consequence? That's consequence. Our faith, not only lack of faith has consequence, but our faith has consequence. One of the consequences of our lack of faith, another one, is not only the whole thing, he went mute, but I think another thing is I think we, we don't allow ourselves to step fully into the presence of God and what he's doing. And so our encounter and our, our I would say, our experience of who God is is limited based on what we think he could do rather than what he can really accomplish. And so we can also struggle with having faith. Zechariah is the perfect example. I mean, Gabriel steps into the picture. He's like, this is what's going to happen. He's like, how is this possible? He says, listen, one, you don't think that I speak for God, so you're not going to speak. He just calls it out. Even though he had been faithful and prayed for years, he struggled to believe that God could intervene in such a situation. I think he became lost in the task of obedience rather than the call to have faith. And I'm not saying that obedience doesn't matter one bit, but obedience comes because of faith in who Jesus Christ is. We see that in this very passage as well, in verse 22, he starts to to act it out. He says he came out and, and even that, like they wanted everything done in a certain way. The people were waiting for him. They're like, he's been in there a long time. Even then, the, the, the clock mattered. He's been in there a long time. Why hasn't he come out yet? So he finally comes out and then he starts trying to show them through different actions and motions, I guess. This is what took place. He was unable to speak to them and they they realized that he had seen a vision, but he kept making signs to them and he remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he finally went to his home. I want to talk to you about a lack of faith again. Um, we, friends, I know that we can have questions, but when you have a disbelief that God can do what he can do and what he has promised to do, I'm going to tell you right now, that's okay. But one thing you must do is you, you must allow your unbelief to remain temporary. You know, sometimes even our prayers can become so rote, routine, 
that they lose a significance of belief and faith in the power of God. I think that was Zechariah. They've been praying for a baby, maybe because God didn't answer it when they wanted him to answer it. That they, they kept praying for it, but they didn't really believe it would happen, so they lost the faith component. Maybe we've done that before as well. I'm, I'm grateful that God doesn't do things on our timetable. You want to know why? Because when God, did you know that when God does things on our timetable and the way that we've planned them out, rarely do we give God glory for doing those very things because we go look at what we did. That's called humanity. That's what we do. I love that God typically does things in ways where we go, how did that happen? And the only explanation is the grace and the mercy and the goodness of God. There's no way I could have done that. There's no way this could have happened in my strength and in my knowledge and in my understanding that had to have been the power of God. I love that. So just get used to that uncomfortable place. Allow your unbelief to be temporary. Difficulty, and listen, here's the great thing about difficulty is it increases your gratitude when God answers the prayer. Zechariah wavered. But yet here's God working out the impossible in a hopeless situation to reveal his power. A great passage for you to think about on this is Romans 15, 13. You can scribble that down right there. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the story to me. That verse is the story of Luke chapter one, especially with Zechariah and John the Baptist because all of a sudden what takes place is here comes Gabriel and says, I'm gonna do this. I know that you should have hope in God, but here, I'm gonna, God's gonna answer the prayer and that baby is going to usher in so much more than you know and he's going to be overflowing with the Spirit of God. It's a powerful lesson for us. In fact, just to make sure you understand the entire story, because I, I, don't, I don't have as long today, but in Luke chapter 1, 57 and through 60, it says, when it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been merciful to her. Everybody rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, this is what this is customary, right? They, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah but the, after his father, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. If you don't recall, I've already read that earlier in Luke chapter one, and his name shall be John. So they're being obedient. I think they've learned their lesson. Yeah, we're not going to kind of redo this one. Verse 64 through 66, it says, instantly Zechariah could speak again. Now, if you haven't spoken for nine months, what are your first words, right? He hasn't spoken for nine months, and it tells us instantly Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. First words matter. um, I have the joy of having numerous children, um, they're getting older. I have the joy of that as well. And I've always said, you know, when they're little and they're cute still and all that stuff, that you're like, you're like, what do you, you sit around? And whenever, whenever the mom wasn't present, I would just say one word over and over, dad, 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 because I wanted them to say dad, dad before mama, right? Right? Yes. 
sometimes I think back and go, why didn't I say Jesus, 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 Jesus? First words matter. And all of a sudden he could speak again and he, he just starts praising God. All fell upon the whole neighborhood. News of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Friends, faith is powerful. And God-sized faith, you know what, faith, you know what God-sized faith does? It makes other people uncomfortable. I cannot tell you the number of times in my life I've been told to slow down, simmer down, calm down, or whatever. God-sized faith makes other people uncomfortable. I want to make the people around us uncomfortable. I don't mean that disrespectfully. I don't mean that to be rude or mean. But I want to make the world around us uncomfortable. I want us to speak boldly the name of Jesus. Yes? I want us to give sacrificially as Christ has given sacrificially, yes? I want us to be quick to forgive when their world says, why would you forgive them of that? You should make them pay. We go, because God has done something greater for us. I want to make the world around us uncomfortable. I want us to live fully by the word of God. I want us to commit fully to recover from addiction, to set aside pornography, to make sure that we're being held accountable because being righteous and blameless before God matters more to us than simply being embarrassed for a moment with other people. I want us to make other people uncomfortable with how many of you are willing to go, you know what, I'll go on mission. With how many of you are willing to go, you know what, I'm really uncomfortable with other people, but I'll jump into a small group because I believe that God could actually use me to speak into some other relationships to redeem those marriages, to restore those marriages, and to allow other people to encounter God. And even if that makes me uncomfortable, if that means other people encounter God, it's worth it. I want to make other people uncomfortable. things I think that kept Zechariah from really understanding what God was going to do and made him go, well, how is this going to happen? We're old. The very, I, just, I just can't wrap my mind around the fact the very thing he had been praying for finally happens and his first question is, how is this going to happen? Instead of going, wow, God is good. Like, what are we doing? My fear is that we're the same way today. Do your prayers reflect a God that is the creator of the universe and is that powerful? Does your faith make other people uncomfortable? Because the prayer is that the faith collected in these groups of this group of people and all the services that as we come together, that our faith will make the world uncomfortable, not so that they're embarrassed, but so that they encounter Jesus. 
so that they say, wow, that looks so different than what I thought it could be. That doesn't make any sense. Why would you give up all of that to help with all of this? Because God's worth it. Because Jesus is worth it. Let's, uh, let's make people uncomfortable. Everybody do me a favor. Everybody raise a hand. You say, you can, you, when we worship, you can raise a hand and you're going li- to live. If we can't do this amongst the brothers and sisters, what are we doing in the world with people who hate us? I think previous experience prevented Zechariah from really remembering the power of God. Like, I'm, not, I'm not even beating up on him. I'm really not. A godly man. But I think he just lost track. He lost sight. I don't think it's any different in the church today. I think sometimes we've lost sight of focusing on what it is to be people of faith, people who make the world uncomfortable. And we have fallen into the trap sometimes of just the routine that we live by and making sure that we get things organized enough. We are not here to be organized well enough. We are here to be faithful and obedient children of God. So we're, honestly, we're asking you to partner with us by your faith, by your willingness to step into the movement of God. We desire to be people of God joining a movement of God. People of God joining a movement of God. People of God joining a movement of God. That's what we're trying to do. And I have finally come to recognize that claiming and speaking out loud that I believe that God is wanting to use Chapel Point far more than our immediate radius. I believe God is wanting to use Chapel Point as one of many churches to actually serve as with regional impact to show the nation what it is to know Jesus Christ again. I truly believe that. And you're going, well, that sounds arrogant. No, that's claiming the power of my God. I know we can't do it, but I know that God can give a baby to an old woman. I know that God can give a baby to a virgin, and I know that God can use us to do far more than we could ever ask or imagine according to the power of Holy Spirit working in our lives. Are you ready to allow Holy Spirit to work in your life in a way that you've never done it before and to make the people around you uncomfortable? That's what we're trying to do. Zechariah will you have greater participation in your faith Lord I come before you I give you thanks for who you are and I celebrate your goodness Lord we love you Amen